Your time starts now. Oh, nope. When or you it starts now. There you go. Hey, Rockers. Welcome to episode 11 of season one of Extra Credit, the Rocky Podcast. I'm your co-host, Seth Hinckley, sitting beside me, the dean of Rock U, the one and only Matt Black. We made it to double digits, and we're sailing into the uh, the teens now. Yeah, we're going to get we're there. We're like an 11-year-old podcast. <laughs> <laughs> A pre-teen podcast. Exactly. Let's start with our usual, before I forget, what are you wearing today, Matt? What I'm actually wearing today is the same thing I wore for episode one. I don't want to give it away by saying what it is. Well, that just means that if you haven't listened to episode one, press pause, go back, find episode one, and then listen to the first 10 episodes and then get back to episode 11. I'm sporting my t-shirt from 101 KLOL, a now defunct radio station in Houston, Texas, where I grew up. It's nice. got the, the silver robot head on it with the, the crazy rock and roll arrow going through it. Nice. And you'll see why in an explanation of one of the things that we're going to talk about today. And what's that, Seth? What are we talking about today? We're talking about the top five best intros to a song. In rock. In rock. Yeah. This is, this is quite a good intro to a podcast, though. Nicely oh, done. Nicely done, you. Seth. Well thank done. you. That's one of our top 11 <laughs> intros to our podcast. Definitely one of the top 11. I don't know if it makes it in the top 10. We'll see. <laughs> so, as usual, we have compiled our lists without talking to each other. We've come up with our own set of rules. And tell me what rules, if any, that you had. I only picked intros that had a distinct musical character or form or chord structure or sound or something from the rest of the song. I disqualified any intro which was simply the main riff of the song played without the other instruments like Satisfaction or Me too. I just, even drum parts like um, oh, yeah. I Want Candy by Bow Wow Wow. I didn't use anything where that part just continues through the song. Everything had to be distinct in some way from the rest of the song. Okay. That, that, was, that was my first rule as well. Did you have any other rules? Nope. <laughs> okay, the, I didn't. I had one other rule. Okay. That it couldn't be a separate track. Yeah. So if on the album, like Threshold and Jet Airliner by Steve Miller, which should be played together, but they're separate tracks, or Foreplay and Long Time, or Sirius and I in the Sky by Alan Parsons Project. Never even would have occurred to me. Even though they are, could be considered intros, they're not really the intro to the actual song. So, are you going first or am I going it's first? It's my turn to go first. It's your week. turn to go first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The way that we're going to do this is we're going to play the intro for the other one. And since it doesn't record super well, what we're going to do is he's going to play his songs for me and I'll play his songs for, for him when it's my turn. And we're going to hold off on whether we know it or not until enough of the intro has been played. We'll add the intros in post so that you can hear them as well. In good, right. quality, yeah. In good quality. In good quality, wave audio forms. I'm ready to take a guess at what the first one is. Well, so I don't think you're gonna. Five. I don't think you can have any problem knowing any of my intros. I didn't go for obscure things or things that were super unusual. I just went for super good intros that were super cool and recognizable. I do have to say though, preparing for this episode reminded me a little of those shipwreck movies where there's sailors <laughs> on a lifeboat and they have to draw straws to see which one of them they eat so the others can live. Oh, I had, I had six. And I could not sacrifice one. And you and I communicated earlier this week. I was hoping that one of them might be on your list and then I wouldn't have to use it. And then when you said it wasn't, it was too tempting for me 
It was too tempting for me to use this intro, and I'll explain why after I play it for you. Okay. So I had to sacrifice a beloved intro that will just be first on my honorable mentions list instead. All right, okay. Here's the intro. Dude, that's Hot for Teacher by Van Halen. <laughs> it is indeed. And the temptation to have a Van Halen song on my intro, uh, my top five list, when you didn't have one on yours, and to have a drum intro uh, when you didn't pick the same song, it was too I great know. for me. It was too great for me. So my, my honorable mention, you'll, you'll find out what the sixth intro was, but that's Hot for Teacher by Van Halen. Uh, it starts with this incredible drum part played by Alex Van Halen. It's with, amazing. Yeah, with a double kick. I'm pretty sure a double kick pedal. Alex always played double kick. Yeah, yeah. and um, but it doesn't end there. Then Eddie Van Halen comes in with this beautiful, almost Bach-like arpeggio, arpeggiated uh, fugish kind of kind of sound. Then the main riff comes in, or a main riff comes in. But then you then it all drops out, and you get David Lee Roth with some sound effects, making some banter. (laughs) I don't know that Michael Anthony contributed anything to the intro, but that could be said of the band too. But no, 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 come on, he's a good bass player. Uh, Anyway, an amazing band. Backup vocalist. Yeah, I know he gets some disrespect, but I, I like him actually. But anyway, it's a great song. It's one of my favorite Van Halen songs. Probably my top three, four Van Halen songs. But it's definitely their best intro. It's the most one of the most interesting intros around in rock and roll. And the song, by the way, if you don't know the song, definitely check it out. It leans heavily into the adolescent humor department. <laughs> yeah, that's totally David Lee Roth yeah. influenced. And uh, even though Sammy did it as well. And but. don't take it too seriously. Because they didn't take it too seriously. They were making fun of themselves and being a bunch of jerks sometimes. Because, hey, let's face it, adolescent boys are jerks most of the time. Most of the time. All right, what's your t- What's your number five? I'm going to play my number five for you, and you're going to get this one. You, you kind of have to. And then, now you, That's Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. And I I got that one in, I think it was about a second. A millisecond? Yeah. (laughs) He got it even before, I I have to say this, he got it even before the guitar started. The intro to this song starts with a a radio that was recorded, and it was David Gilmour's car radio that they they recorded some of the AM stuff off of. Uh, And the 12-string guitar riff that starts it off... It's panned to the right speaker as if it was on the radio station and it wasn't tuned in all the way. Love that. Um, yeah. Gilmore processed the 12-string to make it sound like it was coming out of an AM radio. And as that part goes on with the 12-string, a strong, well-recorded 6-string comes in and responds to the radio part panned in the left speaker. This is a really great job of engineering this to set the stage how the song is two guitarists one playing to the one on the radio, just by using the sound of the song. Another interesting fact about this song... Wait, did David Gilmour play both the parts? He played both okay. the parts, yeah. Yeah, I thought all, so. All the guitar on, I think, on the entire record was played by him. I assume so, yeah. Another interesting fact is that early on in the intro, Gilmour can be heard coughing right before that main six-string part comes in. Hmm. And it was due to him being a heavy smoker. Now... After he heard the final cut of the song, he was so disgusted with that 
that he quit smoking cold turkey the next wow. day. Wow. Crazy stuff. Go, David. Number four for you. You'll get my number four. No question. Here All it right. is. Uh, dude, that's Shaft. That's the theme by from Isaac Hayes. That's right. The theme from Shaft by Isaac Hayes. And, and similarly, you got it before the guitar came in. Also, you could tell just from the drums, which were played from that, by that hi hat pattern. Yeah, Willie Hat, Willie Hall playing that hi hat pattern. That's the, nice. I, I just I just happened to look that up and wrote it down just so I knew. Uh, <laughs> but what makes that intro great is Charlie Pitts playing the wah wah guitar. Oh yeah, and that is a sound that was pretty common in funk, but disco sort of was a child of funk but to a much bigger audience and that yeah. wah sound became really popular i don't know that it's because of shaft i will say there's a great movie about the wah pedal okay. it's about an hour long you can find it on youtube and uh, charlie pitts is interviewed talking about how he came to that sound and what gave him the idea and wh- he took it from another song he wasn't using or isaac hayes took it anyway the wah movie is worth checking out but the intro to the theme from shaft is very cool it is about a almost two minutes long the whole song's about three minutes long. Yeah. So two minutes of it is intro. And it's not just the wah-wah pedal. You get some piano in there. You get some horn hits, some keys. Yep. But the wah-wah pedal, I mean, that sound is so cool. It's and signature that's, shaft. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't hear that and yeah. not think, oh, yeah, that's yeah. that goes to shaft. Especially if you've seen the movie. And the lyrics are kind of ridiculous. I mean, they're kind of campy in 70s, which is what they should be. But if you've seen the film, you know why the lyrics are that way. The, I mean, he's, he's the big hero yeah. in the neighborhood. Total camp, but but <laughs> but the sound of that wah wah pedal in that intro in that song is kind of the equivalent of like I don't know how if you know Pixie Sticks. It's a candy that we used yeah. to buy. It's a little paper tube, and you rip the top off and you it shove it in your mouth. In it's it. just full of sugar. <laughs> it's just like it just hits you and you feel good. Yeah, that's that's a Pixie Stick of that's a song a, right there. That's a <laughs> that's a good one, a Pixie Stick. Yeah. So my number four, I'll play that for you right now. Deacon Blues. Am I wrong? You're wrong. Damn it. What is it? <laughs> okay. I, I, I know this is Steely Dan, and I can't remember the lyrics. That's the only way I'm going to find the title of the song is if I can sing all the lyrics until I get to the chorus. If, I, if you give me enough time, I'll get it, but I don't remember which song it is. It's Josie. Josie. Off Asia. Ah, yeah. dang it. I should have known that one. <laughs> I definitely should have known that one, but I do know the intro. Yeah, the intro is... is one of the weirdest intros of all time. I mean, Rick Beato did a video on it, and he was like, this is the craziest intro ever. They actually teach this song at the Berkeley School of Music to their jazz folks. The intro has more than 10 different chords, and there's not a true relation between any of them. The chords are mostly used in jazz, and that's kind of a Steely Dan trademark. And Larry Carlton, Dean Parks, and Walter Becker are all listed as playing guitar on the track, although Becker's listed as only the soloist. So I'm not 100% sure about who played that part, but Donald Fagan and Walter Becker actually wrote it. But my guess is Larry Carlton is the guy that plays that. It's an amazing intro just because of the variety. You don't know what's coming next with that weird chord progression. I love it. Cool. You ready for my number three? Hit me. Once again, you'll get it immediately. And if you don't, I want you to take yourself outside. Okay. (laughs) Here you go. (laughs) 
That's Psycho Killer by the Talking Heads. That is correct. <laughs> Maybe one of the most recognizable bass lines in rock and roll, created by Tina Weymouth. And Tina yep. Weymouth belongs to that category of bassists who learned to play the bass so they could join the band. So There's a lot of those. Her, at the time, boyfriend, now husband, Chris France, was the drummer. David Byrne, they were all friends at the Rhode Island School of Design. David Byrne, the singer and guitarist and songwriter. And, and they just weren't satisfied with all the bass players they went through. And so Chris France said, hey, Tina, why don't you learn to play the bass and you'd be part of the band? Because she was driving them around at that point to gigs yeah. and stuff. They all moved to New York. She learned to play the bass and she created that bass line. Or she played that bass line at least, probably created it. And it's got those cool, weird harmonies harmonics coming in probably played by jerry harrison i don't know if he or david yeah. byrne played them i'm not sure and then the the sort of weird jangly chords that come in later the i think they're suspended chords i shouldn't talk about that or diminished chords i probably shouldn't talk about that unless i actually know what i'm talking about <laughs> but anyway very recognizable totally fits the song and it's a historic baseline that's very true and while that baseline does come back in the song it is not the principal baseline of the song and the whole intro with the harmonics with the the jangly chords that's unique to the intro what do you got for number three or are we not for number i don't remember who i'm on my i'm on my number three okay and here it is That's Roundabout by Yes. Of course it is. (laughs) (laughs) Matt got that, uh, I think, even before the guitar harmonics finished. Roundabout by Yes came out on the album Fragile in 1971. Now, I like a lot of Yes's uh, intros. I could have gone with the strings intro from Love Will Find a Way or the sitar intro from It Can Happen, but I had to go with this one. That backwards piano E chord played by Rick Wakeman on a grand piano just slides effortlessly into the harmonics on that acoustic guitar, and it's an amazing intro. And the way they did that was they recorded the piano stab, and they held the note, and then they just reversed tape tape and played it backwards so that it had that hard stop. Beatles Um, did that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I'd be curious to know, Queen does it on another one bites the dust with the same chord. So I'd be curious to know if Queen sampled that or recreated it or heard that idea or if it's a coincidence that they both played the exact same reversed piano chord. It's in the bridge of another one bites the dust. That's a good question. I have to look that up for uh, another that, future take two. I know that uh, Roundabout was recorded at Abbey Road. So I, I don't who know knows if, that if they used yeah. who knows if they used the cut or here's the question did they use the same piano that was at Abbey also Road possible to that? yeah after the harmonics on the guitar Chris Squire comes in with that signature bass line and Bill Buford on the drums with just an amazing groove for that song uh, if you don't know Roundabout go look it up go listen to it an amazing song all right you ready for my number two I'm ready let's see okay I'm gonna I take a, I'm gonna take a brief interlude here. Okay. And give you a sneak preview of our next segment, the listener feedback segment. Okay. Because I got a comment from uh, on episode seven, our story songs episode, from Bruce. Okay. From uh, New Haven, Connecticut, and Bruce mentions in his comment, he, uh, he refers to the fact that I disqualified for the story songs episode. I took out any song by an artist I had already used. Right. And I that that gave me an excuse to say a few songs that I really wanted to use, but I had so many for the story songs episode, <laughs> I didn't have to count them in my top five. Cheater. And I I 
specifically took out She's Leaving Home by the Beatles. And Bruce says, first of all, I appreciate you're not wanting to repeat artists, but taking the Beatles out of the mix is a huge handicap. She's Leaving Home is the first song I thought of and is perhaps the most moving story song or song period ever written. That is a tough one to exclude. And you know what, Bruce? You're right. The Beatles did almost everything before almost anyone else. Almost everything that came in rock and roll has some piece of its DNA that came from the Beatles' creativity, imagination, and fearlessness in the studio. So I'm leaning in. My one and two intros are from the Beatles. Okay. And I could have made a list of ten more that deserve to be in the top ten. So here is my number two intro. Uh, that would be I Feel Fine by the Beatles, since you already gave me that. <laughs> that is by the Beatles. That is I Feel Fine. And it is, if not the first, it is one of the first and certainly the first significant use of feedback intentionally on yeah. a recorded song. And what happened was John Lennon leaned to his acoustic Gibson guitar with a pickup in it against an amp. Paul played a bass note. The acoustic guitar started to vibrate. The amp started feeding back. And they're like, oh. Can we use that? And that's the kind of thing they did all the time. And that's the stuff you hear in all rock music that follows. The the legacy of their creativity, that's just a good example and of it. And so you had to use something from feedback to start oh. your intro thing about feedback. It just gets layers, layers, layers of and meaning. Layers and layers. It's a rich tapestry. <laughs> For my number two, this one's rather long and involved, and I'm not sure that you're going to get it, but hopefully you will. Wait, I should just say, I'm sorry, because I forget where you're inserting these clips later, but I should just say that you got it just from the feedback. You got I Feel Fine without having to hear the guitar riff, which comes in after the feedback, after ah. the feedback phase. <laughs> you, need, you need to get some credit for that. Okay. So, okay. All right, I'm ready for your number two. Like a fantasy or fantasy? What's it? The fantasy. By Aldo Nova. By Aldo Nova. That's a that's great right. tune and a great intro. <laughs> <laughs> so that intro, that's why I'm wearing my 101 KLOL shirt. Nice. Because they used to use that intro with the crash thing at the end as their TV commercial. And the, the big silver head came out and it had this explosion with the rock arrow going through it. And that was the, the sound behind it. So that's why I had to pick that one as nice. an intro just because nice. it's so weird and different and unique. We, we could have done top five uh, songs with explosion sounds. 
because I, I have yeah, a there's ones. Yeah. there's a, there's a lot of those <laughs> or machine gun sounds. There's a lot of those. Yeah, the short keyboard part that le- leads into the explosion, and then the guitar riff that starts the song. It's unique. It's fun, and I've always loved it. So it's I had cool. To, I had to put it on the list. All right, number, number one. Let me guess. The Beatles. Oh, wait, you no, got sorry. it. You got it. The Beatles and. Fight me. This is the most significant intro in the history of rock and roll. I am wearing my Beatles Hard Day's Night t-shirt with the four portraits of the four Beatles, and this is the song I've chosen, which I just gave away. Okay. Dude, that's the <laughs> one chord on, is it three guitars? I'll explain. For a Hard Day's Night. That is, in fact, A Hard Day's Night by the Beatles, the most celebrated chord in rock and roll, perhaps in music history, but certainly in rock and roll history. And I will say that it is played on two guitars. George okay. Harrison's 12 string, John Lennon's acoustic, one bass, that's Paul McCartney. Oh, the bass. Yeah. And the piano played by George Martin, which plays three notes. And the reason we know this is because there have been literally books written on what that chord was. The Beatles cannot agree. They don't remember. They did many takes. They didn't always do it the same way. Yeah. They didn't often know the names of the chords they were playing. There's a mm-hmm. really great breakdown online by, uh, I forget his first name, but I think it's Gary Bachman of Bachman-Turner Overdrive, who's also a musicologist, who listened to the master tapes and broke it down. But there's also mathematical analyses of the recording that disagree there's and but he leaves out the piano by the way oh uh, 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 gary bachman or randy bachman maybe it is anyway whatever his name is mr bachman leaves out the piano um there's a whole chapter a 68 page chapter from a book called songwriting secrets of the beatles by dominic peddler which i have uh downloaded and i sometimes go back and share with people it's an incredible again it's an example of their fearlessness they didn't know what they were doing so they just did what sounded good and they created a whole new language and music. It, we pretty much know what it is now. George Harrison is playing an, I think it's an F added ninth on his 12 string. Okay. But because it's a 12 string, there are harmonics. There are notes playing in the song which no one is playing. They're simply harmonic notes created by the 12-string guitar. Right. Plus, the, John Lennon was playing his acoustic, again, very resonant, and there are, there are notes, the, 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 sonic, the sonic analysis, whatever that word is, <laughs> reveals notes that no one was playing. The piano also has a lot of harmonics in it. So, overtones, we would call those. Yeah. So, if you play a note on a piano, you're actually hearing a bunch of different notes when other things resonate or vibrate. Right. So, it, fight me. It's the most important chord in rock and roll. <laughs> So for my number one, I'm just going to play it and see if Matt knows it, but I'm sure he does. That's Where the Streets Have No Name by U2. Of course. Which I would have gotten anyway, but it is on my honorable mentions list. (laughs) Of course it is. And he got it before the guitar came in. He got it with the the synth that was in the background. You know, that synth gives way to Edge's signature dotted eighth note delay riff. And then Adam's bass and Larry's drums come in for, in my opinion, the best 
intro to any song in the rock pantheon. Now, the cool thing about this song is the intro's in 3-4, but the main part of the song is in 4-4, and the intro's repeated as the outro, and they go back to 3-4. Edge wrote this song because he wanted to conjure up the ultimate U2 live song, and he put the demo together really quickly, like the day before they went into the studio to record the Joshua Tree. Uh, but it took the band a long time to record the uh, take that they liked. Co-producer Daniel Lanois said that it was like a science project of a song because he had mm-hmm. to map it out on the blackboard and walk the band through the chord changes and tempos. The other producer, Brian Eno, almost recorded over the original takes because he thought that starting from scratch might have been a better idea. <laughs> Larry Mullen Jr., the drummer, said that the song just got better by playing it live, and now it's a staple in their live shows. And the reason this is number one for me is, for some reason, the music, that intro, just speaks to me on a very deep emotional level. And it's very rare that just music hits you like that. But from the first time I've heard it, to the multiple times that I've heard it in concert, to every time it comes up on my playlist, I just stop what I'm doing and sit there and let it wash over me. It's a it's an amazing intro. It's, that's why it's my number one. It really is. There's a I think if if I'm not wrong, I think they the reason why the rest of the body of the song is in four four was because they couldn't figure out the themselves they couldn't figure out how to play it like it was they were, they were, been, they were yeah. super confused about the time signature and i knew that story about daniel lenoir sort of teaching him what was going on yeah <laughs> there's a great scene in um it might get loud which is a great documentary yeah, about that's electric a great guitars movie uh where the edge is listening to one of the early demo tapes of this intro and he's like yeah. oh and he talked he said oh it's in waltz time and he's like he knows now but he didn't know then he was a kid he didn't understand yeah. anything about the music theory yeah that's cool um I'll have to go back and check myself, but I, it is de- a signature delay sound, but I don't think it's a dotted eighth. That is his, dotted eighth is his thing, but yeah. I think that's not a dotted eighth. I'll have mm, to go back okay. and... Because I've, I've had a teen band play that, and we recreated it using a, a pedal, and we didn't use the dotted eighth setting. All you right, got, give me your honorable mentions. Oh, I got a bunch. I'm sure right. you do. So, uh, <laughs> my first one is Superstition by Stevie Wonder, but we just talked about that recently, yeah. that that. That very short drum fill played by Jeff Beck, or uh, invented by Jeff Beck, played, played by Stevie by Wonder. Stevie, yeah. Played by Stevie Wonder. I, I think the 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 pantheon of rock intros includes Johnny Be Good by Chuck Berry. Yes, but I didn't include it because he did not write it. He lifted it from a song by Louis Jordan called "Ain't That Just Like a Woman," which oh, wow. I think was about ten years older. And yeah, I'll play it for you right now. Yeah, he might have violated that copyright. <laughs> well, uh, you know what they say: sample, good writer, sample, sample. Good writers, uh, good songwriters borrow; great songwriters steal. So, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a John Lennon quote, or attributed to him. Uh, let's get it on those first four notes on the wah wah pedal, and you immediately know what's coming, and you're right in the mood. Yeah. Um, Sir Duke by Stevie Wonder, great one. Uh, Touch me by the doors. I mentioned I had a whole bunch of Beatles. Eight days a week, she loves you. Day tripper, help drive my car. Ticket to Ride, Revolution, Back in the USSR, Helter Skelter, Can't Buy Me Love, Come Together. Some of those would have violated my Don't Just Play the Riff rule, yeah. like Day Tripper, but those are great, all great intros, and I could have kept going. Um, <laughs> I rarely, I included a Van Halen, so why not a Led Zeppelin? Rock and Roll is a great intro. Yeah, it's just Rock that. and Roll is an amazing intro. And a tough timing, a tough one to figure out the timing. I think it starts on the, th- on th- on the three. I can't remember exactly. Um, just Like Heaven by The Cure, one of my favorite songs, which builds the song 
instrument by instrument in the intro, and yeah. the vocal doesn't come in, I think, until at least a minute. Uh, Give Me Shelter by the Rolling Stones. Again, well, yes. what, am, what am I doing? Stones? Zeppelin? What's going on? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and the yeah, next, Those are great intros. And man. the you next one, Sweet up. Emotion by Aerosmith. I mean, what's what's ha- who, who's, who are you, and what have you done with Matt? Uh, <laughs> Hell's Bells by ACDC. I just love that one, and obviously yeah. gets used a lot in sporting events. I had Where the Streets Have No Name. Faith by George Michael. Enter Sandman by Metallica. Iron Man, which has a uh, by Black Sabbath, which he does a really cool thing. He bends the strings of his guitar behind the nut before he plays the chord, and then he lets him go, which is how he gets that whammy oh, effect wow. without having a yeah. whammy bar. Um, Barracuda by Heart, which feature, features that fl- uh, flanger sound, yep. which Ann Wilson was so it was Ann, right, or Nancy? Nancy, no, I get him. Nancy, Anne's sorry, the singer. Okay. Nancy's sorry. the guitar player. Uh, yeah. That that sound she was so known for. Tom Sawyer by Rush, that synth sound again, that, that with that flange synth sound, yep. which I just love jump by van halen uh when they did some heavy keyboards and that's played by eddie van halen so yeah because yeah. eddie eddie was trained the keyboardist learned the keyboards before he ever got into well eddie started playing drums alex started playing the guitar and they switched and thank god right. they did they did <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh gotta throw this one in for mr mark heim crazy train by ozzy osbourne perhaps the most famous use of the vibra slap on a rock of recording uh voodoo child by Jimi hendrix and i actually think stevie ray Vaughan did it better in his cover the wah-wah pedal yeah i love that sound of the wah-wah speaking of wah-wahs for the love of money by the ojs uses an auto wah sound so it's a wah-wah pedal but it's based on how hard you, you pluck the string you don't have to move it with your foot wow uh, great sound I mentioned I Want Candy by Bow Wow Wow the Bo Diddley beat which you also hear in American Girl by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers which has a great intro yep. and I'll just I, I got a I got a whole bunch more Bob O'Reilly Spirit of Radio Purple Haze Hey Joe Roxanne uh, Power of Love but I'll just end this one for you on uh, Rock of Ages by Def Leppard with the, whatever it is that they're saying I don't know what I don't know what they're saying I don't know why they're saying it Glouten Globin is what I hear, but I don't know if that's what they're saying either. I do not know what that's about, but it's instantly memorable. All right, so I don't have as long a list of honorable (laughs) mentions because I didn't do as deep of a dive on this as you did, I don't think. Baker Street by Jerry Rafferty. Spirit of Radio had to go with that. Children of the Sun by Billy Thorpe. I don't know if you know that one. Not off the, not by title. Yeah. I'll have to listen. Um, the Seventh Seal by Van Halen, where they have the uh, Tibetan throat singing that starts off that nice. song. I have to listen to that one, too. Shine On You, Crazy Diamond had to go with a little more Pink Floyd off of that record. And then uh, there's a song called Voices by a guy named Russ Ballard. If you pull up the full-length version of that... The intro on that one is it's very synth heavy. It's definitely eighties, but it's it's a great intro for Isn't that. Isn't there song. an oceanographer named Russ Ballard? I'm not, I don't maybe. I don't coincidence know. or I got the name wrong. Okay. <laughs> So do you want to hear more of the songs we mentioned on this episode in our top five lists? Don't forget, with every episode of Extra Credit, The Rock You Podcast, there is an associated Spotify playlist, and you can find a link in the show notes to listen to the whole thing. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Oh, and Saturday, 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 and Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Matt, tell them what's happening. That's right, Seth. We're back after two years of highly abbreviated programming. We are back to the full Rock You En Scène Music Festival at La Javel. All day, Saturday, June 18th. All day, Sunday, June 19th. And all evening, Tuesday, June 21st, Fête de la Musique. Every single Rock You band on stage. That's kids' bands, teen bands. 
bands, adult bands, and even the instructors. Everyone's gonna play. Come on out to La Javel at their new location near Bercy. All right, rockers, welcome back. We're going to do our feedback segment now where you've been sending us stuff at, uh, what's the email address again? It's podcast at rock-u.fr. So, you guys have sent us some stuff. Please send it to the uh, the email address. That way we'll make sure that we get it and go through it and uh, put it on the next feedback segment. So, let's go through, are we doing episode by episode? Yeah, let's do it episode by episode. So, right. we'll start in episode seven because we did the last feedback episode our last feedback segment in episode six. Okay, but I didn't. I don't. I didn't get any feedback for episode six. I don't think. I don't think I got any for six either. Okay. So, or maybe we did it in episode seven. So the feedback we had was through. Ep- anyway, whatever. The first thing I have is for episode seven. Yeah, go for it. Hello, Uncle Hiram. My Uncle Hiram is back with a comment saying he's thrilled to see the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald included. Uh, It contains so many great lines, but here's my favorite: "And all that remains are the faces and the names of the wives and the sons and the daughters." Yeah. So that was your choice, and I'm sure that 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 line sticks out. That line actually comes after. I think it comes directly after my favorite line that I quoted in the podcast. Probably does. I don't remember. And then the other uh, comment I had from the Story Songs episode was the comment I already shared. That uh, thank you, Bruce. I want to thank you for uh, making sure that I do not shy away from using the Beatles and other and the Police (laughs) and the song. The the bands I tend to use a lot. There's a reason I use them a lot. They are titans of rock. They're good. I had one from episode seven. Uh, my buddy Rob says, hey, man, catching up on the podcast. Three words for the story song episode. Poncho and Lefty. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> a good one. Dude, but the, not really it, a it's rock a great song. song, but it's not a rock song. <laughs> yeah. I have to say that. I mean, even though I, I love Willie. But Me too. Yeah, Poncho Me too. and Lefty. Poncho and Lefty is a great story song, love but it. not in the rock pantheon. As and far by as the I'm way, concerned. I think you could probably find more country songs per song i'm sorry story songs per song in country than in rock in general definitely yeah. yeah all right so what do you have for episode eight episode eight was our interview with rory quinn and uh dr other phil writes in about one of his favorite drummers he says one of my favorites comes from a prog rock band i love called dream theater Dr. Other Phil, we all know Dream Theater. That's John Petrucci's band. So if you're a guitarist, you've heard of Dream Theater. Uh, Their former drummer was Mike Portnoy, who has gone on to play in several bands, including Neil Morse Band, Transatlantic, Winery Dogs, Liquid Tension Experiment, and tons more. You made all those bands up, by the way. His precision, (laughs) speed, alt-time signature style is impressive. Check out Dream Theater's YTSE Jam at the link below, heavily influenced by Rush, so I think you'll like it. I will include that link in the show notes. Yeah, Portnoy is an amazing drummer. He's he's really good. Yeah. Also, just want to I'll share a quick uh, quick comment again from Uncle Hiram. Thanks, Uncle Hiram. We appreciate your listening and sending us your feedback. <laughs> um, he tells a personal story. Well, first he says he uh, agree- agrees that Ringo Starr is uh, he really liked the Ringo Starr pick and mentions that Don Henley also says Ringo Starr is the best drummer in rock and roll. He knows something about that. Um, but he said he tells a personal story and I'll I'll pass this on. So. Uh, meanwhile, Rory's emphasis on the importance of the metronome is thrilling. Matt, your great-grandfather Dave used to say to your grandmother Celia and your uncle, me, that's not me, that's Uncle Hiram, yeah. that anyone who can't keep time should maybe not take up music. But he appreciated <laughs> the metronome as a marvelous tool every musician should own and use. Keep on trucking, guys. Great stuff. Rory makes me practice with a metronome, so it's uh, and it helps. It really does help. One of the best tools in rock and roll. 
So do you have you got anything? anything? I don't have anything for episode eight or episode nine, so I'm going to let you go with your episode nine stuff. All right, episode nine was our collabs episode, and uh, our friend Mango from Brooklyn Mango. has has a comment for you. Okay. And he says, uh, he's, he does his best Kanye West imitation. He says, I'm going to let you listen to that Anthrax Public Enemy song, but we all know Aerosmith and Run DMC had the best rap rock collaboration of all time. <laughs> uh, Rick, that's uh, Rick is his name. Yeah. Uh, I can't disagree. That is a a, a towering achievement. It I is. I just don't like Aerosmith. <laughs> but it's not it's not rap and heavy metal, which was kind of where I was going. Rock rap, yeah. DMC and Aerosmith is is the one. We got anything for episode 10, the Hidden Gems episode? I do. My buddy Rob from Austin sent me something. He says, Satch, uh, that's his nickname for me. Love the latest episode. Recommendations for, I guess he's trying to tell us uh, what he wants to hear in future stuff. Top five rock songs featuring the xylophone. And then he says, clearly you need an episode on rock marches. Sunday, bloody Sunday, we will rock you. Another brick in the wall. I love rock and roll. We're not going to take it. Shall I continue? <laughs> <laughs> well, you just did the episode for us. Yeah. We don't need to do it now. We don't need to do it now. Thanks, Rob. Really appreciate that. <laughs> and then, uh, oddly enough, I got some more show ideas from uh, my buddy Aaron. And he says, here's some ideas. Best band by city or state. Aaron, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with the one-minute matchup on this episode. So you're going to have to stick around and listen for that. He says, bands that played on after tragedy. Is That's a one. good one. All right, do you, what do you have for? I got a few. 10? I got a few comments from our listeners on episode ten, the Hidden Gems episode. Well, first of all, we heard from Doctor Other Phil, but this is from Other Other Phil, and Other. What other about what about Other Phil? Well, there is no other Phil. There is no other Phil. No, it's just I thought there uh, were three Phils. No other other Phil. I'm so Dr. confused about these Phils. There may be another Phil somewhere, oh, okay. but it's not that one. Okay, so other other Phil says, first off, great episode. I'm so glad you mentioned Stone and Love. In my opinion, the greatest journey song. You know what, other other Phil? I, I'm inclined to agree with you there. I think it's an amazing song. He also uh, has some nice things to say about Dire Straits and Water of Love, which is one of my hidden gems. Threw in Solid Rock as another possibility. I wouldn't have counted that one, but good good song. And he does say, slightly bummed there was nary a Smiths reference. I would have gone with Cemetery Gates. And you know what? He's completely right. Smith, the Smiths are one of those songs where, uh, one of those bands where every song on every album is something special and finely crafted. And I really wish I had thought of a Smiths song to put in there. But he says, my favorite part of the podcast was when your partner threw up 15 Van Halen songs in 15 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Glad I could do that for you, Phil. And and Bruce is back with another comment, also saying Stone in Love is my absolute favorite Journey song and one of my favorites in general. I always enjoy listening to it and look forward to the latest podcast episode. Dr. Other Phil says, just listen to the podcast. Great job as always. Plus, I immediately turned on the Dire Straits debut album and enjoyed revisiting. Thank nice. you, Dr. Other Phil. Uncle Hiram, thanks again. He's back for episode 10, <laughs> and he agrees with you on 1971. He says, great episode. I always felt that the dividing line separating rock and roll from rock lies somewhere around 1971. Of course, yeah. I know that is highly arbitrary, but I agree 71 was a great year. As for 79, could it be the Janus year, looking back at the 70s and forward to the 80s? And yes, that's exactly what I had in mind, yeah. sort of a crossroads between the, the past and future of rock and roll. And then finally, I just want to say that I heard from both my mother and my stepmother, uh, who were both surprised <laughs> that I didn't know who Gary Gilmore was. He's the serial killer who inspired Sting to write Bring On The Night, or the lyrics yeah. at least to Bring On The Night. And I thought he must be British since I hadn't heard of him. He actually was American. It's an interesting story. Go look up Gary Gilmore. It was a mid-80s legal case, which uh, you might find this interesting. Apparently, he is 
his case was kind of single-handedly responsible for bringing back the death penalty in the U.S. because he demanded to be executed for his crimes. Wow. Yeah. I'll have to go look at that. So, Gary Gilmore, not what we usually talk about on the podcast, but there you go. Hey, rockers. Got the summertime blues? Sitting around at home waiting for that summer vacation? Don't be bored. Come rock out with us instead at Rock U. We're offering week-long summer bands for ages 8 to 16 from June 27th to July 29th. You come, you play, you learn some great songs, try something new, make a video at the end of the week to share with your friends and family. Come on, and we'll see you this summer. All right, so we're going to do our one-minute matchup, and it's the best city... For spawning rock bands or rock artists. And Matt is going to go first. And I'm going to try to atone for my two-minute-plus performance in the last episode. Okay. It should be easy on this one. I hope so. All right. You ready? I'm ready. Your time starts now. Oh, nope. Or it starts now. There you go. There we go. All right. So there were a lot of honorable mentions in this category. Los Angeles, Detroit, Philly, New York, Boston, New Orleans, Seattle, Manchester, England. But there's really kind of a dominant city in rock and roll. Uh, The British Invasion is the essence of rock and roll. And all these bands either came from London or assembled in London or debuted in London. Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, The Clash, Pink Floyd, Queen, Fleetwood Mac, Jamiroquai, The Police, Blur, Yes, Iron Maiden, Supertramp, Psychedelic Furs, Cream, David Bowie, Jeff Beck, Dire Straits, The Kinks, The Who, Roxy Music, Squeeze, Genesis, Susie and the Banshees, Spandau Ballet, Elton John, Phil Collins, Adele, Culture Club, Dua Lipa, Wham, The Pretenders, even though Chrissy Hind is American, Deep Purple, Elvis Costello and the Attractions, Talk Talk, Billy Idol, Madness, Sex Pistol Seal, Amy Winehouse, Mumford and Sons, Eurythmics, and I could go on, but I'm almost out of time. It's London. 55 seconds. You came in under for the first time. For the first time. I knew I had to do it, and this was the time I was going to do it. And I (laughs) think I might have mowed your lawn today, Seth. You probably (laughs) did because. Just got a little glance at you. Tell me, do you need any time? Well, I'm gonna <laughs> do it anyway, just right. to see, just to see if you if you did like Stacy's mom said, you missed a spot over there. <laughs> here so, we go. Let's see. Ready? Right. Go. All right. Mine's London too, and here's why: Adele, Asia, Billy Idol, David Bowie, Phil Collins, Bad Company, The Clash, Coldplay, Elvis Costello, Cream, Deep Purple, Derek and the Dominoes, Dire Straits, Dream Academy, Fatboy Slim, The Fix, Fleetwood Mac, Foreigner, Peter Frampton, Genesis, David Gilmour, Gorillaz, Iron Maiden, The Jam, Jamiroquai, Jimi Hendrix Experience, even though he was from Seattle, Elton John, The Kinks, Led Zeppelin, Motorhead, Mumford and Sons, The Outfield, Alan Parsons Project, Pet Shop Boys, Pink Floyd, Police, Pogues, Pretenders, Queen, Rolling Stones, Seal, The Sex Pistols, Susie and the Banshees, Squeeze, Super Tramp, Talk Talk, Pete Townsend, Wang Chung, Wham, White Snake, The Who, Amy Winehouse, The Yardbirds, and Yes. And I'm at 39 seconds, and there were a lot of people that I left off that list. <laughs> yeah, and, so. and I, it was interesting to see the ones that you mentioned that I didn't mention, the ones I mentioned that you didn't mention. Yeah. But it, it's kind of a dominant city in the history of rock because yeah. people assembled there. It was the epicenter of rock and roll in the 60s. And even bands that were the, were, you know, like the Beatles, the first thing they did when they got famous was they moved to London. I mean, they're yeah. a Liverpool band, but come on, they're really a London band. So. Yeah, well, there's there's a lot of bands that did move to London after they formed uh, because they had, you know, great recording studios. Mm-hmm. They had uh, a live music scene in the 60s and 70s that was rivaled by nobody. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, 
go, going down the street and, and go, popping into a bar and you got Jimi Hendrix at one spot and you mm-hmm. go down and you got the Stones at the next place. I mean, it's amazing. Reading a lot of these biographies that I read about rock bands and rock musicians that got their start. If you're a British rock band in the beginning of the 60s or the, the even into the 70s, if you're just getting started, you can tour all of the UK from London without having to get a hotel. I mean, people, these guys would drive, you know, four hours to the gig, then yeah. to play the gig, then drive four hours back or more. And uh, so London was a good base. London was a good base. And then, you you know, not just the original British invasion, but you start thinking about uh, a lot of punk bands came out of London. And then you have New Wave. A lot of New Wave stuff came out of London. Absolutely. Um, just some amazing bands, ska bands coming out of London. If the Globe had an epicenter of music, of rock and roll music, it would be London, England. We agree. So I got to say, I think this is the first time that we've actually agreed on something that's not a yes or no question. And I think we need a sound effect. Okay. I'll see if I can <laughs> dig one up and add it in. Well, like, right here. Bing! <laughs> We probably won't agree for another 11 episodes, so just have it ready by 22. Okay. All right. That'll work. <laughs> Today's episode of Extra Credit the Rock You podcast is sponsored by our good friends and partners at Big Pebble Records. Big Pebble is your one-stop shop for all Anglophone music creation in Paris. Go check out what they do at www.bigpebblerecords.com, including their first release, the EP Posture, by former Rock U student Person M. Extra Credit, the Rock U podcast, is a production of Rock U. Expertly engineered and recorded by my good friend Seth Hinckley. And our theme music is written and produced by Tom Walters. Rock U is a nonprofit association Loi 1901, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>